0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Andy. Thanks for tuning in. With me is the entire crew. Ah, Yay. We did it. (laughs) So we have Jara. Hey. Sue. Hello. Sarah. Hi. Grace. What up, nerds? Aliza. Hey, hey. (laughs) L-L-A-P. And Kennedy.
1: Good evening.
0: So before we get into our main topic today, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. We've revamped our Patreon tiers for the new year, bringing in some new rewards like exclusive Women at Warp merch. So if you've ever thought about checking out our Patreon, now is the perfect time. We really appreciate the support. Find us at patreon.com slash women at warp. Check out our Tee Public store for t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, masks, and more at tpubliccom slash stores slash women at warp. And we're regularly curating new designs, so keep an eye on that. All of these links are also, of course, on our website at womenatwarp.com. All right, so on to our main topic. Today we are doing something super fun, which I love to do every time we do it, which is once before, <laughs> our anniversary episode. So... 3 years ago? Is that uh-huh. right? 3 years ago. 3 years ago. We've been doing this since before time
2: began.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that there has never not been Women at Warp at this point. So, 3 years ago we did a fun little spoof on Shades of Gray and we put together a clip show and just to give you a little amuse-bouche, a tasting menu of our show from year 1 to 3 and we thought we'd do that again because amazingly it's three years later already which blows my mind
3: time has no meaning <laughs> if we were an camp then we would be well into old age
1: we'd be ancient <laughs>
4: <laughs> and married to harry kim
1: yeah <laughs> oh, oh we're telling
0: oh. parents take your pick uh, at least it's not
5: Neil's oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'll take it yeah i'm trying to find the bright side for a poor here but yeah so it's been three years and in those three, three years a lot has happened it's fam it's you know our society has fallen apart lots of things God. but our show has grown our society has fallen apart
2: but our show has come together <laughs> <laughs>
6: The collapse of civilization cannot stop us from talking about Star Trek.
7: Exactly, <laughs> we need it now more than ever. Absolutely, mm. can't stop the signal, baby.
2: Exactly, <laughs> Wait,
0: wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> wrong show. Right reference. <laughs> Boom. So yes, I would say the biggest thing that we need to talk about is we have new crew members. Yeah. Yay. Yay which has been really awesome and I think has added a lot of life and cool new perspectives to our show. And I am nothing but grateful for our next generation. Yay.
6: yay! We are so happy to be here. It's been so nice for the last six months, just having like regular time where I talk about Star Trek with friends. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
7: Yeah. It's really nice. It's been kind of a combo of like having this built-in set of people in stock, talk about star trek with and also have reasons to do deep dives like oh i have to do an episode where we just talk about these types of episodes let me spend 10 hours researching it now i have a reason <laughs> to do that like a, a place to funnel that star trek nerd energy into
1: yeah totally i have always been obsessive <laughs> 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 probably to an unhealthy extent but I, over the past six months, have finally had an opportunity to be obsessed with people who are equally obsessed, if not more so. Like, I really do feel like I've stepped onto the bridge of a ship somewhere, and we're out here, like, kicking indoors and bringing people with us and calling out the tomfoolery. <laughs> whenever we can and it's been so incredibly enriching like when your crew levels up you level up so i feel like this has been just a whole entire level of experience for everybody and the glow up is palpable
0: yeah it's a good time we have a good time thank you for making me feel quasi academic <laughs> <laughs> So what we ended up doing is we split up our show and picked out clips of things that we thought were fun to talk about or, you know, thought provoking, thought provoking, you know, captured the ethos of our show, like discussing the dick rock.
1: Dick rock!
0: Yeah. So I hope you all enjoy the clips that we picked and tell us about moments on our show that you liked and we did not get a chance to include because we only have an hour. We cannot include everything. And I personally love to hear feedback about things that people liked or things that people disagreed with. All that stuff is really cool. So feel free to comment if you think that we missed something.
3: And, you know, inspiration for future episodes, you know, what, what was missing and do we need to take on in the next three years before as the O'Compens we die? Sorry, <laughs> 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 right, folks. I know we didn't talk about this, but we're all actually O'Compens. In
0: three years, we we'll have been doing this show for nine years. Oh yeah. my God. That's yeah. wild. It really is. So, oh, wow. Are there any clips on this list that y'all picked that you want to highlight? No, it just made me very proud of this show going through some of the stuff we've done. Totally. I think that's one of the most fun things about this project is I get to kind of dive into the older shows and be like, oh, yeah, that was
3: awesome. One of the clips that I didn't pull because it was too long, but which I highly encourage anyone to go back and take a listen to because it was my favorite of the things I re-listened to is... Grace's excellent, it wasn't quite a tangent, but like amazing um, pontification on the Satanic Panic <laughs> episode <on> retrospect. <laughs> it was a very awesome deep dive into the Satanic Panic and, you know, weaves back into the narrative about the episode and it was great and also hilarious. So recommend that one if you want to do some further re-listening.
4: <laughs> one of my favorite things in doing this was in in the, the block of episodes I took to go through was our panel recording from several years back now, I think it was episode 92. And on that panel were Aliza and Sarah. Yay! And I, I pulled a clip from that panel and it's just like, it's. it was very neat to like hear people who are now hosts on the show <laughs> like joining us for special episodes or for panels or for things that we have released. And it just kind of warmed my heart.
7: It's like back when we were dating and not part of the family yet. We hadn't married into the family yet.
0: Right. <laughs> well, we always kind of considered you part of the family, I think. Yeah, basically. But I, I was also thinking about this because Kennedy and Elisa did a really great episode on Guinan that was revisited and reminded me that it was years ago, years and years ago, that Elisa first came on to the podcast and, and, and recorded on Guinan. And that was my first
7: episode with you all.
6: Mm-hmm. Sue, I think that panel... That was the first time Elisa and I met.
7: That was the first time I met wow. all of you, I think. At least in person. Yeah.
6: In
3: person, yeah. Memories. In the long <laughs> in the long I also really liked getting to remember some of the cool guests we had. You know, we are they won't all be quoted in this episode. But we had, you know, Gersha Phillips, the costume designer. We had Honalee Culpepper, the first black woman to direct a Star Trek pilot, first woman to direct a Star Trek pilot. We had Kate Mulgrew, we had Mary Chifo multiple times, and we just love them all so much. I think Chase Masterson was also in this. Yeah, Rika Sharma, Jane
6: Brooke.
2: To say nothing of some of the great fans we've gotten to bring in and have their opinions and mm-hmm. thoughts on, it's been amazing. Yes.
6: Can you imagine, though, telling like little you in the 80s, you're going to grow up and you're going to like be on a podcast talking to the people
1: you're watching on screen. I would have laughed in your face. I would have died. <laughs>
7: And then she would be like, what's a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a Walkman? It's like <laughs> radio for nerds.
0: Thank you so much for the work that you all did on this project. I really appreciate it. And I re- really appreciate all of you. You too. We
6: appreciate you too, Andy, for putting up with
1: all of our mistakes. Our shenanigans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, enough stalling. Get to the clips.
6: Well, first talking about the business side, I work in finance, and I found that, yes, corporate business is very patriarchal, so I left, and I work for myself now, and I'm much happier, and I make more money. Good job. Fandom side, um, I'm involved with a lot of local cons, and I got really frustrated with them because you'd go in, you'd have like a diversity panel that was all white, or a STEM panel that was all old white men, and so I got really frustrated, and that's why I started doing my own events, so I could go in and say, hey... If you're going to have a panel at my event, you're going to have at least two women, you're going to have at least two people of color, please have more if you can, and we're going to talk all about issues like representation, or running for public office, or using geek art as protest, things that we can use for marginalized people to make a difference in their lives.
0: Because, let's be honest, girls, you know, we're talking about all this great stuff up here, but legally, women are still not equal in America, because the Equal Opportunity Act has never been passed, Right? So, we're still not officially equal. I mean, people who work regular jobs, well, actually, even actors know that because, you know, I'm not talking out of school here, girls didn't get paid as much as the boys on our show, right? So, and women earn 80, 80 cents on the dollar, usually. So, we're still not equal, um, still have a ways to go. Hopefully, by November, that will change. But
7: anyway... Um, Let's see what happens. We have a we have about well about five minutes left apparently. Uh, can I? I wanted to talk about the uh, yeah diversity and inclusion. Yes, go
6: right uh, ahead. I wanted to see if anyone had anything they wanted to add in our last five minutes, and maybe we can get a question or two.
7: Yeah. So I I work in the nerd space and working for Nerdist and uh, being a part of the Geek and Sundry family, um, I found like a you know two groups. Well, one shared family that has two different faces to it, that is very much um, excited about diversity and making like actual steps towards becoming more inclusive and diverse. And the things I see outside of that, and even before I got to Nerdist, um, made me, it was hard for me to kind of Accept and be open about my fandom for a long time because because of those comments like the Lyft driver and a lot of comments that were much worse that I don't even feel like sharing and bring you all down today. But I, I just, I, I'm not sure how to say this besides that um, representation, it's not just about like having, I think, you know, I think we were talking before about like... Uh, It's not just about having, like, you you know, your couple of people on the panels and stuff. It's that, and it's also once you open up the doors or once someone gets through who is diverse and different from you, actually listening to them, actually including them, um, celebrating them, hearing their ideas and implementing them. Um, I can't tell you how many spaces I've been in before where I'm just there to be a token and I think this past year, I've always been like very um, passionate about inclusion and diversity, but this year was the year that I finally was like, I am not doing anything if it is not also hand-in-hand in hand with inclusion. Diversity without inclusion is tokenism. So no more, no more of that.
6: Thank you, that was awesome.
8: This episode highlights how you can use and governments do that today, and it looks like they'll be doing it in the future. They use incidents from the past, isolated incidents, to specify targeted individuals and say how you know because this happened in this one place. Like when Sati brings up, I I forget the actual story, but she she brings up the Tepel incident, and she she says, hey, because that happened, all Romulans are bad, and because you are fighting for them, Picard, you are a traitor, and there is there is that pointing of fingers because of isolated incidents to basically reject an entire species, which is not unlike the things that are happening today with with the U.S. government in particular.
0: Yeah, and I would like to point out that um, a lot of the countries in the quote, Muslim ban are countries that do not have economic
2: relations with the United States and also most of them don't buy weapons for the United
8: States. So I just want to throw that out
2: there to
8: bring up i believe none of the terrorists that were involved in 9-11 were from those countries no, no yeah. they were not from those countries yeah but it's like
3: the facts don't matter right because they're they're stoking fear and you get and the same thing in the drum head where it starts out like oh okay well we suspect simon tarsus because he lied about being part romulan and like that's already a little scary and i think picard's advocating is really powerful but then because Picard advocates for him, him, Picard comes under suspicion. And then the I think like the more egregious example is then when she basically turns on Worf, who she's been complimenting this entire time. And is like, oh, because your father was an alleged Romulan conspirator, even though they never had reason to believe that. And just like, well, you're obviously suspect, too. So it's like this whole. Everyone can, is
2: suspects.
3: Yeah, and it's it's like, and that's how you get, like, Sikhs being attacked from wearing turbans because people are afraid of Muslims because of xenophobia after 9-11. Like, you get this whole thing that, like, the facts get totally lost, and it's all just how you look and influences your, like, right to safety and security and justice in even the country you might be a citizen of.
4: Well, the doctors believe Seven right from the start. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and he's right there and he's telling her she has every right to feel the way she feels and that it's understandable that she's upset and that she's angry because she was violated. And you know, 43 minutes
3: later, he's saying, "Well, we all make mistakes." And it's not like she's remembering this stuff with his help other than he helped her relax. But as soon as he helps her relax, she starts having these flashbacks. And I think a lot of people raise this as one of the hardest things is that we as the audience live through the flashbacks with her and then we're told it's not real.
4: Well, it's not even just help her relax, right? He says she has something blocking part of her brain that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Right. So something –
2: She's come down with a MacGuffin. Something physical Mm -hmm.
4: has changed. And he removes that block and that's what she remembers. So bet- yeah. between exams in his office, someone or something has blocked part of her memory.
3: Yeah, it's not like he's like, what happened? Was it Coven? Did he assault you? Right. Like, it's hard to believe that she would just pull that out of, especially because it's a pretty recent memory, just pull that out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they sort of say later, oh, well, you're maybe just confused because you do have a lot of other trauma. And maybe this trauma is all just like blurring together in your head. And that's almost kind of worse. Like worse, they're just oh, who can really say? With rough you, couple
2: of years. Just, just go sit down, wrap yourself in a blanket, and let the grown-ups handle this.
4: You know what? It, it reminded me very much of watching the Kavanaugh hearings.
2: Oh, good lord! Yeah, I mean, and
4: it's it's all for, for anyone who watched it, especially anyone in the U.S. It might be very fresh in your memory. But there there was even an entire section of the hearings where the, the panel was asking Dr. Ford, like, how are you sure you remember this? And mm, she's yeah. a scientist. And she said, because I understand how memory works. And victims are much more likely to remember details of an assault or a trauma than to forget them, which who knows what we knew in the 90s, for sure, because we're a good you know, 30 years on, right? 20 years on, something. Good lord, from it's been that long already. <laughs> I can do math from when this episode <laughs> aired. But it's, it's just, I kept having, I, I kept seeing parallels to this thing we just watched on national TV not that long ago, including like how angry and belligerent Coven got, how every time, you know, any quote evidence was, was presented, it just made them angrier. And mm-hmm. it just it, – it brought back all of those feelings of discomfort and nausea and all of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. <sighs> and he, you know, he's basically like, in my society, even being accused is, like, going to destroy my career. And you're like, oh, good. Uh, good. That's, that's uncomfortably familiar. Yeah. I mean, I do like at that point that Tuvok and Jamie are like, okay, but we can't help that. Like, that's your, your society's problem. But can we address that that is
4: BS in our society, too? Yes.
3: Yes, we 100% can. <laughs>
4: like, how people who who are victims can't return to their homes because of the death threats they've received. But, you know, somebody will be back on their comedy tour mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks. Like, I just – yeah, bright future. Making making the statement coming forward is much more likely to harm the accuser than the one who yeah. was accused.
9: But you know what? The goal is going to be to make it just so super sweet today, and just talk about all TNG and the Troy goodness, and so many hairstyles, and so many outfits, and and uniforms, and costumes. It's gonna. There's so much there. We don't need it. We don't even need it. She
0: does it. serve some serious look. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Fav- favorite Troy look? Oh, that blue dress thing that she wears in Barclay's fantasy of her. Oh! <laughs> the goddess of empathy?
9: You mean where she's like, oh, come, I am the goddess of love and understanding <laughs> and Yeah, empathy. but n- that
0: episode, but not that look. Oh. The, the one at the very beginning when you don't oh, know it's a fantasy yes. and it's in 10 forward and it's like royal blue. And like super
9: flowy, and she just looks so elegant and beautiful. I like that. I'll I'll go with that. I like that. I I still like uh, you know when she's in six. Uh, it's it's like season six and seven, and I don't know if she wore it before then. But her good old standard blue. I just like her when she's in like traditional S, uh, TNG uniform. I like that one on her. Mm-hmm. I feel like she even, like, represents herself. There's a bit more just natural professionalism about her.
3: Totally. I mean, we we had a fair number of comments from listeners about the, the costume change, and Marina yes. herself has talked a lot about how it was like she couldn't have brains before she got the uniform that everyone else was wearing.
9: Yes! Yes, yes, yes!
3: Yeah, so I feel kind of like I have to say that, but I will say favorite non-uniform look would be in Man of the People, the one where she's, like, rapid aging because she's consuming all that dude's negative energy. And she's, like, the vampy old lady (gasps) with the skunk hair. Yes! Yes! The one with the,
0: the,
9: like, the collar, like the, the interesting collar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's got like this little peekaboo in the front chest area. And she's got that one white streak in her hair and her hair's yeah. up and she's like, what are you looking at? Like when she comes in, she's, she's salty, like Andy. Yep. She took some lessons <laughs> and she just yep. comes in like, uh, come up and see me sometime. Like she, yes. But she also like her body
0: language and the way she like, almost flings herself against the wall. Oh god, that's good. That's good
3: yeah. stuff. Cuz you know what negative emotions do to women? They yeah. make them old and sexual.
9: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and like ridiculously jealous and addicted. Yeah. Vindicti- yes, that's exactly. Possessive. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my god.
3: Let let's talk about Star Trek 2009 and when they cast Winona Ryder as Amanda who was six years older than Zachary Quinto. And I mean, the, the argument I think was sort of like, well, you know, but in the flashbacks, Zachary Quinto is like a little kid. The flashbacks
2: and, that were cut from the movie.
3: Yeah. Or, you know, but it just, it, there's like awesome articles you can find that compare the ages of mothers and children in, in Hollywood films as well as romantic couples and how like, it's acceptable for men like George Clooney and Tom Hanks to get older and older, but their love interests stay the same age or even get younger in some cases. And once Maggie Jellenhall
2: turned 38, she was too old to be the love interest for a 50-something guy.
3: Yeah. There's another movie. It's a Melissa McCarthy movie. and has Melissa McCarthy and Allison Janney. Tammy. So Allison Janney plays the mom, and then Susan Sarandon plays the grandma, and the kind of hilarious part of this whole thing is that Allison Janney is 11 years older than Melissa McCarthy. And Susan Sarandon, if she was really Melissa McCarthy's grandma, would have been a grandma at age 24. So. Yikes. Yeah. So it's just a thing that like <laughs> Hollywood, it, like, can't understand how women age. Can't or won't. Mm, a little bit of both. <laughs> So um that I think that the Win Owner Writer example is one of the times we see that most clearly in Star Trek, but uh certainly if you go and look back at like the the primarily like love interest characters in most of the original series and uh TNG, they are by and large very young.
2: Looking at the range of Picard's love interests, and that com- becomes very clear
3: also. Yeah, they're all in their 40s, so at least they got him to their 40s. Yeah, but then you also get like a whole bunch of these like crotchety old dude scientists with younger <laughs> yeah, wives. That is just constant, man. How do these guys just keep scoring hot wives?
2: Because that seems a little wishful-filly.
3: Yeah, like uh, there's the woman in the horrible episode, A Matter of Perspective, <laughs> with her older husband, and there's um, of course, we'll always have Paris. So, yeah, that's just that's just a general comment on Hollywood and Star Trek and aging. Well, they're just like they're the rock stars of the
9: future because you know how people are <laughs> always wondering about how these rock stars get these model girlfriends or boy. But
3: then, like, why don't why don't like Toby Russell and from uh, Ethics and Kyla Lamar have like super hot young. Guy, well, yeah, I'm why gonna not? I'm say guy because we didn't have gay characters in Trek by that point. Why did not they not have like an entourage? Why do not the older women scientist characters have hot boyfriends?
0: Because they just work too hard. They dedicate their life. If they're not, they just dedicate their life.
2: To life. <laughs> if you're a working woman at that age, you're a crone. That's
9: right. You just don't have time for men. <laughs>
8: crone.
4: So if we can switch gears a tiny bit and talk a little bit about Star Trek. Uh, Voyager, as you're well aware, will be turning 25 next year. Uh, how do you feel about having played Star Trek's first woman captain to lead a series and have your feelings about that changed over the last 25
10: years? No, and they won't change. I feel, I feel great about it. Uh, it was a singular honor. It really was. It was a real adventure. I think I, I was given a, quite a gift, when I got this role, which, as you know, I got after Jean-Philippe accepted it, and then um, quit. Uh, and I'm thankful to her for that as well, for her foresight and her courage. Uh, but I uh, I understood while I was doing it uh, that it was going to change my life forever. Little did I know at that time, though, that it could it would change other lives as well, particularly women in science. And that has been the single most gratifying uh, aspect of the job, aside from creating a character whom I grew to really love, um, which is maybe three, four, or five times in a lifetime for an actress. But to be able to um, to be able to permeate the greater world, to affect it, to influence it, uh, is a wonderful feeling. Um, And I have, uh, I've been nothing less than grateful for it. Just a wonderful, wonderful thing.
4: Do you recall what your first impressions were of Captain Janeway when you were first auditioning or reading the lines? And how you saw her change over the years in the series?
10: My first impression of her was that I, uh, I was going to own her. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was her. I had a great, a high sense of confidence about it. Um, I didn't know anything about Star Trek. I had never watched any science fiction or read it, uh, aside from, you know, George Orwell. Uh, uh, and I, it was not my genre at all. And yet I immediately liked her. I immediately understood her. And there was a, an instant creative simpatico. And I went into the audition room uh, without a nerve. I'd say, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself in front of about 40 people in suits
3: <laughs>
0: and
10: uh, and learned about two or three days later that I'd gotten the role.
3: Is there anything that you see or saw in the character when you were playing her that you think that fans might not have picked up on?
10: Aside from my terror? <laughs> we definitely did not pick no. up on that. You, you yeah, well, initially, initially there was great, great... Uh, great nerves it was just overwhelming I mean uh, my audition pieces were were not techno babble they wanted to see what kind of you know I don't know what kind of strengths and weaknesses what kind of nuance I'd bring to Janeway it's when I hit the bridge when I got the part and hit the bridge at you know six o'clock on a Monday morning and I had three pages of absolute crazy techno babble I thought oh my god how am I ever going to do this? And that was, uh, the single hardest thing I think I've ever undertaken as an actress. Not just the technical babble per se, but my, um, my work ethic as an actress, which demands that I understand and, uh, absolutely, uh, control the, the material so that I can be free with it. Uh, and in order to, it took me months to To understand that I had to endow all of that scientific jargon with uh, authenticity. And that was hard work. But after about six, maybe eight months, um, it began to happen naturally. And after that, uh, the sky was the limit, as they say. I knew what I was doing, it was all mine, and it became quite happy.
3: Today's show is also brought to you by Text Expander. Text Text Expander.
2: It's text that will expand. It does it by your command. That text
3: it will expand. Wait, are we doing
2: goldfinger or
4: moon river? <laughs> I was thinking goldfinger, but clearly Grace was on Moon River. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know what can eliminate this kind of confusion? Text expander. <laughs> Text Expander
4: removes the repetition from your work so you can focus on what matters most, like song parodies. (laughs) Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. You can write a chorus to a song and just type chorus and it'll pop right in while you're writing the rest of those lyrics. (laughs) Better than copy and paste. Better than scripts and templates, Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages and parody songs. Text Expander can be used on any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Listeners to the show get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast, select Women at Warp.com from that drop down menu, and get to expand in. <laughs>
11: I very much want to talk about Profit and Lace.
3: Yeah, I think we should probably get that out of the way so that we address the elephant in the room.
11: So I want to preface this by saying that I have a somewhat controversial opinion of this episode. Oh? I don't hate it.
2: Oh, okay. Well, tell us about that.
11: (laughs) All right, so, like, top level, this episode is horrifically sexist. It's abusive and awful. Like, it it is. But the scene... The first scene we have with Quark as a woman... And let's get this out of the way. Quark in this episode is not trans. Quark is wearing the costume of a woman to get a goal. And that's awful. It plays into the stereotypes of the trap of the trans person being deceptive. That's awful. And it's horrific. And it upsets me even to still watch the episode. But that one scene where he's adapting to womanhood and re- it's sort of like the first f- five months of transition in 30 seconds like everything that happens in that and that sequence is so on point point. and like there's a there's a there's a line i actually have the script here because i wanted to read off a line it's not important it's where they put yeah there goes hormones and rom <laughs> yeah and and rom immediately chirps in there goes her hormones so good Good, good job, Rom. <laughs> oh wow! Um,
2: Rom's an ally.
11: I, I I want to talk about Rom in the scene too, but i will get to that in a second because I have a really interesting headcanon about him. But Quark is immediately emotionally unstable, and you go on when when you're starting out on hormones, in, in in HRT, it's a wild ride. You don't know how to feel about anything anymore, and and it's it's wicked. Like when you you start getting your hormonal cycle, and the way you react to things starts to change so violently it it was so easy to relate with Quark going through 30 different emotional states in the state of two minutes and like it's a top level it's like yeah woman be hormonal but like no that's a, that's a fresh experience for a trans woman uh transitioning that's that's super relatable
3: that's super
5: interesting yeah really i mean like i said i had i couldn't bring myself to rewatch it but i do remember that that bit now but that certainly does feel like something that Yeah, it's a pretty accurate description of, like, I don't know, I think I called it Hell Month.
11: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then immediately start talking about how Quark is walking. And so it gets into the performative aspect of of transitioning, where you're not doing things like a woman, you're doing this wrong, and you you look like a man when you walk, so you need to walk this way. And Mm. and it's like, oh my god, please stop. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) And it's, again, it's so on point of just like what the expectations are, not even for internally, because internally, your dysphoria is all over the place if you experience it. But then just the external pressures of people looking at you and expecting things out of you, like looking for your progress, even among friends, even among close allies, like there's still that expectation. And it's stressful.
5: Yeah, I mean, the performative aspect is kind of interesting, because I found for me, it was more not performing, because I'd really like. In my case, I was really self-conscious, and I always felt like an imposter before I transitioned. I couldn't escape that feeling. Like, as in, I would get panic attacks going into men's bathrooms because I could not escape the feeling that I was in the wrong place and I was going to get found out. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't feel anymore, which is weird. Like, I had no idea that you weren't supposed to feel terribly stressed going into a public toilet. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I found that, like, I was performing before more than anything else. So things like, I would actually artificially deepen my voice rather than anything else. Like, I would try to talk Mm -hmm. an octave lower. And one of my friends at one point had said, and this was a really awkward conversation and it wasn't spectacular, but he'd sort of said, You know, I was really uncomfortable around you at first, but then when your voice started to change, I'm like, My what? And I like, he'd he'd just presumed that my voice was changing because of hormones, whereas in fact, Mm. it was more just, I think, like I was just no longer trying to sound masculine, I guess.
2: Turning off the Mm -hmm. affect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So it was more like not performing. And that suddenly, which suddenly he was reading as, as, like, performing femininity. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot to cover with Mirror Giorgio.
3: Yeah, she's one of our, our our heavy-hitting, more recurring characters for this episode, and first shows up in the Mirror universe as the Empress, Emperor, Emperor, they call her Emperor, mm-hmm. eating Kelpian. So she's a literal man-eater. We get that <laughs> off the bat.
4: She's one of these rare ones where we do have two versions of this character. Yeah. Right? Because we know Prime Giorgio and we know her as mm-hmm. this upstanding officer, this great leader, this most decorated captain in the fleet, but we don't get to know her for long. We really only know her in two episodes and by reputation. And then mm-hmm. what's unusual is that the character we get going forward is the mirror universe version of this character. And that's the one we're going to be sticking with, which is very different. You know, usually it's the other way around.
2: Yeah. Usually the mirror mirror version is one off.
4: Right. Or a couple, once or twice, and that's it. And it's very clear that Michelle Yeoh has a great time
9: playing this character. Mm
4: -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to also see how she has adapted... How Mira Giorgio has adapted to the Prime universe, how she can play the part of Prime Giorgio and fool people.
2: And that really does make you just wonder more and more about what she
3: got up to in her own universe. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we will probably, we will definitely have to revisit her because they are uh, announced they're starting filming for the Section 31 show that she'll be starring in uh, soon <gasps> in lovely Mississauga, Ontario. But yeah, it's really interesting. I really. Enjoy Mira Giorgio. I think she brings a lot to the dynamic in the last season of Discovery. And, you know, she has these, this tension because she's definitely unlike Prime Giorgio, except for this sort of maternal tie that she feels to Burnham. Mm. And it is interesting. And I, I kind of like the interplay and the, like the distrust between them.
2: They do have a really interesting dynamic. Yeah.
3: Yeah, like they want to be close to each other, but they also don't trust each other. Yeah. They want to be close to the versions of each other that they cared about. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. And she brings so much more depth to the Mirror
3: Universe than we've ever had before. And to Section 31. Yes. I mean, Section 31 previously, I mean, especially when it was very first introduced, was almost kind of like a bit of a caricature. Yeah. And I think the farther, like, the farther it's gone along, the more kind of nuanced and insidious and, like, actually kind of a believable, you know, threatening force it is. It kind of uh,
2: was introduced in kind of a Lovecraftian sense of, oh, they've done things worse than you can imagine. It's
3: like, you're not going to elaborate on that? Use your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think, like, she puts, uh, like, a, a face on it and... They, they've done a really good job kind of showing the linkages to upper echelons in Starfleet. And we have no idea how she's getting back to Section 31 after being in the future with Discovery this season. But we're going to see. I'm curious.
2: I think that's also part of what makes her such an interesting character, in the, both as a villain and just as a character. She's very engaging and you really want to know what's she going to pull next.
0: It's so funny. You've got space lurch, you've got the dick rock, you've got that really inexplicable pantsuit made of scarves that I think totally works. You've got sexy robot lady. You've got the (laughs) rotating Kirk table. I mean, the android making merry-go-round. Yeah, This is all gold. Yeah.
2: Yeah, pretty much in terms of sci-fi shenanigans, this episode is... Probably in the top ten of DOS. It's just so enjoyable. It's just so yeah. what the hell is gonna happen next?
0: And every time there's a shot of Kirk cradling the dick rock. <laughs> you say that like the dick rock
2: is a central central part of the episode. It, it is, great. is great.
7: If you look at
3: what <laughs> the internet thinks about this episode, it is. I mean that's fair.
0: That's fair. When I was first time tracking this episode, I was like, oh god. I really want to say something about how this rock looks totally like a dick, but I'm going to be classy and I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And like two tweets and people are like, are you just going to ignore the dick rock? How dare you? And I was like, okay, I see how this is. I mean, this was pretty early in my first time trekking journey, and I just, you know, I hadn't realized what my audience was like, and I was like, oh, okay, I should just talk repeatedly about the dick rock. So, so I did. I
2: was watching it, and my roommate, who's never watched Star Trek, just walked into the room and was like, oh, is this the one with the
0: dick rock? Yeah, see? <laughs> so I I definitely feel like it's the standout moment of this episode. I
3: feel like, technically, it's a dick stalactite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's where you're drawing the line. <laughs> <laughs> wait which is stalactite or stalagmite oh which, I, actually,
3: I actually don't know if it's a stalactite <laughs> it won't fit in your butt but if it's
0: a stalactite <laughs> it might fit in your butt
2: <laughs>
4: a stalactite is the top and a stalagmite is the bottom
0: <laughs> yeah i think i got it there yeah so is kirk the top or the bottom
2: <laughs> only spot can tell us for sure
0: Oh my (laughs) god! Oh (laughs) man, we got to put a "not safe for work" on this episode, (laughs) and I'm totally fine with it.
6: Yep.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We've got one. We've got a kess Williams on Twitter. Janeway did the right thing by separating Tuvix back into Tuvok and Neelix.
3: And I'm like, I wish we had been told more. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Like, elaborate on that, because we're curious about what the thinking here is. This
4: this was another one where we got, you know, the exact opposite. Someone else yeah. said they should have kept two veins.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know we've gotten that a lot.
2: I feel like I've heard th-
3: that Janeway made the wrong decision more than Janeway made the right decision. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what I've heard also, I think. But I thought it would be interesting to bring, bring up, because again – it's a really polarizing episode mm-hmm. in terms of there are people who are like, no, that was that was murder, and then people are like, no, that was the right thing, and it is so curious again to see which episodes turn out to be the super polarizing ones like that.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean it's often used as an example of like Janeway's a bad captain. Yeah, <laughs> which I don't agree with. But um, I remember when I first watched this episode when I was a kid, I thought it was totally the right decision. And going back to watch it, I just see it as based on the conversations that Jamie and Kess have it does seem kind of selfish yeah, but maybe it would like if it would make more sense if like his molecules were disintegrating and but he still didn't want to go back
2: like he wasn't stable or something
3: yeah, like he was gonna die but he still didn't want to go back or something like that would be interesting and more, maybe more ambiguous
2: maybe it was more of a you guys could have written that better situation.
4: I think it would have been – I mean, this is not how TV's shows were done at the time. But I think it could have been – it would have been nice if they were able to have Tuvix around for, like, a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And, like, while yeah. they tried to figure it out and, and see him maybe, like, struggle to fit in or not actually be able to do I'm – I'm tying myself in circles. But, like – and then have, like, a cellular degrade – thing happening yeah because i i think part of why that episode is so like visceral for some people is because it does happen so quickly
2: yeah and then never addressed again Mm -hmm. yeah like this is the kind of decision that janeway should be thinking about for the rest of her life after she's made it and it's just nope it's one episode
3: anyway i would be happy to hear more about why janeway did the right thing in case I'm just missing a piece. And either way, it's totally cool to have that opinion. Yeah.
12: I don't know. I, I just remember there being a lot of emphasis on the fact that they had a, a woman as a security chief who was mm-hmm. in charge of this. And I think, that <laughs> I think that where this comes out the most is in the episode that I have redubbed The Worst Wakandans, Uh. It's one of the very first, you know, Star Trek episodes, and she's prominent in it. You know, it's what is the actual name of that episode? It's Code of Honor. Thank you. Now we, you know, what I like to call it. It was oh god, it was so hard to rewatch this episode, but it was very, it was actually very interesting. And one of the, I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's the worst depiction of a culture involving you know, Black folks ever that I've seen, but I think it's probably one of uh, Star Trek's worst.
6: For what it's worth, the cast agrees with you. Yeah. They talk about how awful it is.
12: (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, really? I'd love to read that. Oh, wow. I'd love to read that because I was looking, it was funny to me as I was watching that episode and thinking a lot of this is a way to kind of pull out what we see of Tasha Yar as her function of st- security chief on this particular a- ship. But at the same time, everything about the name of their actual culture is uh, Ligon- Ligon? Ligonians. Ligonians. They're the Ligonians from, I guess, Ligon 2. And it involves a vaccine, interestingly enough, which is the same thing that happens on Symbiosis. But there are so many things in this episode that are just so hard to like watch. You know, you've got, first of all, the costumes with all of the African-American cast. They reminded me of, (laughs) I guess what I would see like Aladdin riding around in, like in like a Disney movie or something with the turbans and the, you know, the very kind of, spicy costumes that they had on. The women's costumes were pretty cool, but a lot of how they depicted this particular quote-unquote culture were, you know, very interesting. I didn't really much agree with it. Until the end, of course, but I still see problems with the way that they had that set up.
7: <laughs> well, I mean, the biggest thing is that, like, tying, you know, tying back into what we read from the show Bible, how, you know, how to mm-hmm. write Tasha Yar and talking about her, like, how do they... Weirdly, state her ethnicity. Or,
12: Ukrainian descent. Yeah, but
7: like, what was it? Unspecified. <laughs> unspecified. Oh,
12: unspecified
7: Ukrainian. Whatever descent. that means. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so no idea. And then just her very female body and muscular, well developed. So like, first of all, super objectifying her, right? And then this episode also objectifies her, literally making her mm-hmm. an object to be captured. And a trophy of heroism for this leader on this planet. Absolutely. And then you layer on the already very complex and tricky and not always great relationship between just like generally, you know, black men and how they are viewed as if they are dating a white women and white women who date black men and just like all that stickiness you know just drop that in there too (laughs)
12: like exactly and the anger
7: it's just oh yes oh my god you're right the anger of what is it the first wife
12: yes yorena her name was yorena she was the first one and the owner of all the lands you know there was some scheming going on from the very beginning and of course people on the enterprise figured it out based on you know, the rules of the culture, but (laughs) I don't know. It's just like shady, shady, shady shit happening from the
7: very beginning. You know, what's funny too, is like this episode so easily with just some like core tweaks could have been cool. (laughs) It could have been good Mm -hmm. because, Mm. and the, the, the only like shred of goodness I can see in this episode is seeing black characters not have to be the hero, not have to be perfect and, and untouchable and, wise and magical like it actually is refreshing to to get to see black characters that are not sanitized you know what i mean although they are in in Mm. a a different way in this episode they're
12: definitely it's definitely refreshing but at the same time i feel like they're still held to specific you know cultural (laughs) constructs from that time period that we would have considered to be not okay yes right it was Mm -hmm. like you're holding up this completely created black society up against you know these i'm sorry to say white standards of what would have what would consider to be civilized
7: right right? Mm
12: -hmm. because the very last sentence in that particular episode is you know you may have more technology, but we still know how to be civilized or something to that degree. And I was like, <laughs>
6: who wrote this? Who wrote this?
12: And they're like literally withholding
3: a vaccine from like dying kids or something. Um, so they're very much portrayed as like these evil exoticized right? baddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So Elisa, were you a Trek fan for, you said you were pretty new to the fandom. Mm hmm would you say it was within the past you know five years ten years was there some tenure there or are you like a brand new trek baby baby trek baby trek (laughs)
7: well so here's the funny thing and kennedy we're from similar parts of the u.s i'm from newark new jersey i know you're from philly right yeah okay so i i don't know about you But I grew up in a, like, mostly Black, Caribbean, Latino area in Newark, New Jersey. And I loved Star Trek growing up. I watched it with my dad. We would watch the original series. We watched some, like, uh, The Next Generation, some of, like, Voyager and DS9. And I have very fond memories of watching it as a kid. But outside of my house, I didn't really connect with anyone about it. It wasn't talked about. I didn't know what a convention was. I didn't know what cosplay was. I grew up. In this part of the world of of the US where nerddom wasn't really celebrated. And so it wasn't until I moved to the West Coast and then became an actor and then tapped into the outward side of my fandom that I realized that there's this whole world of Trekkies and cosplay and conventions and stuff. And so, so yeah, when I say that I was new to the fandom, that's what I mean. I was new to like the community of fans. Uh, Not new to Trek, but new to the community of fans. So yeah, in that way, I was a baby Trekkie. Gotcha. Sarah,
1: what about you? Are are you a, a veteran as well? Or you have similar exposure to the community as Elisa? So
6: I started watching Star Trek in 1987 when Next Gen was on the air. And my first convention was actually back in, it would have been like 93 or 94. And in the 90s, Creation used to do tiny conventions all over the country and so we had one in Portland with William Shatner just after they started or after they finished filming Generations wow so i have vague memories of this cuz i would have been like 13 14 years old but i wasn't really involved in fandom i didn't really know there was a fandom i saw the shatner documentary about stlv in probably 2013 or so and i thought oh that's really cool i think i'll wait and i'll go to the big 50th anniversary convention That was in 2016 because I thought the people that fly to Las Vegas every year for the Star Trek convention were insane, and so now I've been four years in a row. (laughs) I've made so many friends there. It's the Star Trek community is so friendly and so welcoming. Like you go your first year to see Captain Picard and Data and all these people you grew up with on TV, but you keep going because of the fans.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. This is definitely a unique fandom in that because the 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 driving mission for lack of a better term of this series of this franchise is to you know highlight and focus on how immensely beneficial combinations of people can be right the more I hate the term diverse let's say that because it has such negative connotations to it like it almost makes me feel of a division right and I I like to instead say that it's a more accurate representation of humanity, right? People across all walks of life saw themselves in Trek to some extent or another. Some groups, certainly not as much as others, right? Some groups, barely any at all. So that's a cool thing about Trek. It's almost like a self-editing document because now with new series being on the air, they have an opportunity to right some of those wrongs, you know? But uh, for me, I I grew up on track. Like, it's me, my mom, like, raised me on it. So I also watched The Next Generation when it came out and literally every series ever since. I also went to conventions coming up because it was my mom's jam. Like, her and all her friends would get dressed up. It was, at the time, it wasn't cosplay though, right? It was called Mm -hmm. going in uniform because that's how precise their shit was. Like, everybody was pressed. Like, I I remember in the mornings getting ready for those weekends, you know, everybody would be in in the TV room getting into uniform, and people were buffing their boots so that they would shine for the photos. Like, that's how into it they were. I remember being a kid and haggling somebody for Latinum. (laughs) (laughs) Someone had bars of Latinum at a vendor table, and I was like, How much is your Latinum? And he was like, $12 or something for a bar and I said $12? This is not a big piece of latinum. You're crazy. He's like, wait a minute. Where are you going? What do you mean? I said, sir, this is barely the size of my finger. I'm like 13. This is barely the size of my finger. It is unreasonable to charge these prices for a sliver of latinum. You have lost your mind, sir. Good day. He was like, wait a minute. Come back. Give me $5 and it's yours. I said, sir, you have struck a bargain.
0: Oh my
7: god, baby Ferengi. Oh, so sweet.
0: You know what else I enjoy? What? Garish-year dates.
7: Yep. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about diplomatic dinners. This is a
2: different kind of diplomacy.
0: Yeah, this is a romantic feeling out of uh, somebody's romantic attentions. They have a lot of dates, y'all. Like, a lot.
6: (laughs) So Grace and I did a Star Trek panel at Wizard World last year, and... Afterwards, we were so tired, we went back to my house, and we we're just like, okay, let's watch a bunch of Bashir episodes. And so we started with the episode where Garrick meets Bashir, and I just remember being like, oh my god, was this always so gay?
0: Yep. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was very gay. And uh, That episode is called Past Prologue, and it's their first date, and their first date comes in the third episode of the first season. So, like, they laid that groundwork early.
2: I love the progression in their relationship that we get throughout these, though, in terms of how the show goes forward. We see such, uh, what am I trying to say here, both a representation of how comfortable Bashir is becoming, like with his situation on Deep Space Nine and with this whole intriguing world of Garrick that he's sort of getting pulled into and how in control he's getting with that. And also just how personally engaged with the whole thing Garrick is getting over time, rather than just, this is an interesting novelty to, oh, these are these are people I know and work with, and this is someone whose company I
9: value.
0: Yeah, and that first one is kind of funny, because they play it very interesting, and it's kind of out of, it's not the same as the rest of them. So you've got Bashir acting very wide-eyed and naive, <laughs> and then you've got Garrick almost being a bit predatory. And I, Andrew Robinson has since said in the DS9 documentary that he was like, I want to be really clear. He wanted to have sex with him. <laughs> and I was like, We noticed. We noticed. <laughs> we, we definitely got that, bro. Like, that was very clear.
2: Tweren't subtle.
0: Tweren't subtle at all. But, I mean, some people didn't get it. So, obviously, I mean, your mileage may vary on this one. But for me, <laughs> I was like, gay. Hey,
1: but trek ain't retiring because we've got all these new series we've got all these new seasons of new series and it really is the the gift that keeps on giving but i believe and i have a hunch that the three of you and those of you listening will agree that one of the greatest gifts of trek that keeps on giving is the cosmic african diaspora now what is the cosmic african diaspora you might ask
7: i was asking that kennedy thank you for yes it's valid
1: it's a valid question who 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 talks like that (laughs) i do (laughs) i define the cosmic african diaspora as a concept that includes the nuances of blackness and black culture that transcends race species and vast distances in space. I'm glad you defined it because I thought we were just talking about Cisco's cousins or something. But I'm I'm cool. I got it now. I'm good. <laughs> right? I was just
7: like, wow, I, that was a lot though, Kennedy. That how do you even break that apart? That just, just <laughs> once mm-hmm. once black people mm-hmm. got into space, I'm pretty sure we were like, cool, 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 we out.
1: Right. And and that happened. But what is cool, I think, about Star Trek is that there's representations of blackness across different species. We've seen this in evidence of Black Vulcans, Black Klingons, Black Romulans, and there was even a Black Cardassian once upon a time. So that implies that the, the presence of Blackness transcends not only this planet, but also exists on different planets in different ways. If we want to get really super niche about it, when you look at races like the Romulans, right? If we're all caught up on Picard, we know that Romulans can look two different ways. The Northern Romulans have bumpy-ass foreheads, and the Southern Romulans look like watered-down Vulcans. Those are the same species, but they're two different races. I've seen Black actors play both types of those Romulans. So that, to me, is an indicator, not only that the casting directors know what the hell is up, but also that Blackness can exist on any planet that has a sun and a climate. So I wanted to not only define that, for everyone, but also put that, that B in your bonnet, if you will, because it circles back onto some of the representation that we'll get to dive, dive into over the course of this episode.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to our clip show part do. Thank you so much for joining us for another three years
2: of this wild and crazy journey. It's been such a gift to be able to do.
4: We thank our patrons at the top of every episode, but Thank you, even if you're not a patron. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for supporting us, whether it is with, you know, likes and shares and retweets. Thank you for downloading the episodes and listening to them. Thank you for joining in conversations. Thank you for helping us build a community around this show that we love to do.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: We, we can't wait to be able to see you in person again. Uh, those of you that are part of our in-person convention audience. We love and miss you. And second star to the right and straight on till morning. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thanks so much for listening. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at women at warp. You can also email us at crew at, women at And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Woo. Yay. That's
6: <laughs> episode. Yay.